This episode of The Discipline Investor is sponsored by Masterworks. To learn more, head to masterworks.io and use promo code TDI to skip right past the waitlist. Again, that's masterworks.io, promo code TDI. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Stocks rally into the Fed and then blast it higher on a dovish take from Powell. Tech earnings looking pretty good. Well, at least better than expected. And bond yields tumble. The USD, the dollar heads lower. And we're talking about the R word. All this and much more on episode number 775 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Very good August to you. Welcome to the summer, the depths of the summertime. Here we are, and welcome to the place where here we share, we learn, we profit. That's what we do here, right? The Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz, and I'm the host, and I'm back from a quick weekend away. You know, I don't know if you've tried this before. I'm sure you have. But these quick weekends away where maybe I take off the latter part of a Friday, maybe even a Thursday night, and this time I went to the Bahamas, but... What a fun time. What a refreshing and rejuvenating way instead of committing to that, you know, one week or 10-day vacation. These little jaunts, these weekends, feels like a vacation, but really not taking too much time away from work. You know, I'm not one of these that likes to really spend a lot of time when I am vacationing working. I like to turn off because during market hours, during the week when the financial markets are open. That's why I've always wondered, for those who trade cryptocurrency on a regular basis as they're living, how do they either sleep or just take a rest? There's no time for any of that because it's open 24-7 all the time. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's great because you can do whatever you want all the time. I say, mm, not. You need to take a break, just like professional football players, basketball players, or any athlete has a season off. Why do they do that? Why is it that you think that athletes need that time off or what's happening? If you think about it, it'd be much better for the financial picture for the NFL, for the media to have games going on all the time. But they need rest. They need to, their muscles to regroup. They need to train. They need to get better at the doing, sharpening the saw, so to speak, a la Stephen Covey. You need to reflect, and that's sometimes really important when it comes to what you're doing. Stepping back, we've talked about this, right? Stepping back, not only away from the screen, but away from it all. Have the opportunity to spend time reflecting on what you're doing, what's happening, and I think it makes a big difference. You can see things that you didn't see before. Sometimes just staring out at a beach, reading a book. Sometimes just pondering the stars. It can give you that moment that you need, that an idea comes into your mind. You're like, ah, oh, 
I wouldn't have thought of that if I was going through my daily grind because there's so many distractions, things happening. It wouldn't have entered my mind because I'm so cluttered with other information. So taking that time off from work, from the daily, from the things that you do on a regular basis, just taking maybe even a, just a drive can be very helpful. And especially in times like these. And this may sound like, well, what kind of financial advice is this? This is absolutely financial advice. This is the way to get your brain set up and, and into a functioning process that allows for you to understand what's happening from a non-emotional state that sometimes leads us to make very poor decisions. This is a very important part of the process. Giving yourself the freedom, the opportunity, and the time to understand the bigger picture, to find new and different ideas instead of wallowing in the old ones, instead of just thinking about what you have, what you did wrong. This gives you the ability to make really good decisions long term. Now, let me talk about, before we get into today's show, some of the things that are happening here. We have, uh, coming up next week, we're going to be talking about alternative strategies. You've heard me talk about this from time to time. We're going to bring on uh, one of the firms that we work with on a regular basis, uh, and I thought there was some good information because this alt strategy deals with commodities and futures and grains and energy and foods and uh, currencies, and it's a really interesting area to go over because there is a good amount of uncorrelated action that happens with some of these alternative strategies. And in a market condition where you want diversification away from the regular just stocks and bonds and real estate, stocks, bonds, real estate, cash, right? Just that's, that's the baseline. When you can find some things that are giving you opportunity outside of the norms and maybe in a crazy time with headwinds that are smacking you in the face on a regular basis like we're seeing right now. I mean, doesn't it make sense to look for other things? Well, we're going to talk about that. And also in August, I think the 8th, 20th, 18th, 19th, whatever the uh, that, that Sunday is, uh, our guest is going to be Peter Schiff, noted gold bug and investor. And uh, a lot of you have asked for him over the years. We had him on a number of years ago. I reconnected with Peter and we talked a bit and he is going to be here I think it's the third week of August. So make sure to say to, to be subscribed. Follow me on Twitter. That's Andrew Horowitz. One word, just one word, Andrew Horowitz. And that's on Twitter. By the way, a lot of you have been also asking, I got some emails in about my, because I mentioned this on DH Unplugged last week, uh, about the food blog, quote unquote, that I have. Because you know I'm into cooking and food and eating and all that. If you've ever seen a picture of me, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Uh, we, uh, I have a, uh, an Instagram account that just is dedicated to my food endeavors. And that is dad bod food blog, dad bod, like my dad bod food blog. So make sure to check that out as well. Last week, we talked about flightless birds. Remember that? We talked about uh, two types of flightless birds, in fact. We talked about those with a head in the sand, like an ostrich. We also talked about those that just follow along the, with the rest, which is penguins. Remember, we talked about the idea that, you know, there are these two things that are going on right now with people, with analysts. And I asked the question, 
Which one are you? Now, hopefully you took the time to think about that and maybe maybe even said, you know, I'm, I'm neither. I'm a, I'm a bald eagle soaring above all of this. And I questioned whether you were just following along with everyone and, and not, not really thinking about what's best for you, but just going along with it. No matter what is happening, you just go along with what everyone else is doing, right? That's the penguin, right? And... Well, that may seem like a bad thing to do. It's, it's actually not. There could be some positive sides to this as well. In fact, when you think about following along, this is what we call trend following. Remember we had Michael Koval in the, uh, in the house a number of uh, months ago, and uh, he's an expert in the area of trend following. And you think about charting. Charting is all about the idea of trend following or at least penguining. These are all good. That's great. And we also talk about the ostrich when you're kind of avoiding everything. And, and, and anyone who discusses finance, you got your head in your sand, you're not looking, you're not adjusting, you're never taking a look or doing anything about it, right? That's the ostrich. That's what we discussed last week. And I want to kind of go one step further on, on this with you because if you stop for a second and really just for a moment say, all right, well, so I didn't want to look. What's the big deal? Well, what could you have been Missing in July. A remarkable month overall. Last month, July 2022. Names you know are doing extraordinarily well. Extraordinarily well. Why is that? Is it a dead count bounce or a bear market bounce? Maybe. Were things just oversold to a point that was ridiculous and now we're just adjusting back? And maybe this is as good as it gets right now. Maybe it doesn't necessarily have to roll over and hit new lows. Maybe. Depending on where we are. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show about where we are right now economically. But think about this: these names. Netflix, in the month of July, up 30%. Roblox, up 39%. Amazon, great numbers on Friday, up about 25%. Tesla, up 25%. Affirm, up 44%, PayPal up 24%, Apple, Apple up 15%, Bitcoin up 20%. Even the indices had a great month. And even if you're not following all of the penguins that were quacking about, OMG, there's a recession, the R word, and we're going to test the lows again. Oh, run for the hills, you know. Everybody's worried, everybody's concerned. Everybody on TV is talking about, oh my gosh, we've got to come back. You have recessionary pricing. That means we have to have multiples contract down to 12. We're at, we were at 22, we're at 15. There's a long way to go. I see 3,200 and 2,900 on the SP, and you know, all these things that everybody was talking about, right? And I was like, hey, listen, oh, I think they're getting a little bit out of sorts right now. I think we've done a lot of the damage. And if you recall, I talked about one of the things that we were doing inside of our portfolio, particularly the, um, the TDIMG managed growth strategy, by the way, if you, don't, if you didn't do that, go check out the virtual tour on thedisciplinedinvestor.com, please. If you haven't looked at it yet, you need to take some time to look at what's going on. It's a $50,000 minimum. And what we do there is uh, a lot of things. Well, we have a core equity strategy and we have uh, potentially some hedging and we utilize um, some trading strategies, some short term, some, some uh, longer term. And, uh, but, but what you want to look at there is, is that I talked about this whole idea that, you know what, we're, we're being very careful not to go 
short on a lot of hedging on indices right now. I'd rather have a buffer of cash. And that's worked out pretty well. Because that buffer of cash, which was at 20% plus or minus for a while, was redeployed as we saw things coming down and added to names that really popped dramatically. And the equity positioning, instead of selling out of everything, where we did have a lot of, of, of energy stocks in the portfolio, has held up incredibly well as, on a relative basis for the risk. Really, really well. At least that's what I see. Still down. Let's, let's, let's get that out of the way. It's still down. When you're looking at uh, the equivalence where you see down 30% for the year, I mean, okay, that's a lot. That's down. You see a, a ARC investment down 55%. You know, you got to get about 100% return to get back to square one. That's a long haul. But, you know, you take other numbers, you know, down 10, 12, 15, 18% for the year. You know, it's not as much of a, of a problem to get back to square one and then profit from there as it is if you have a 30 or 40% loss. Big differences. Anyway, I digress. But all these TV superstars and, you know, financial guys that you see on the TV, radio, were just, you know, kicking up the fear. Hey, you know what I call that? I call that a lesson learned right now. And if you weren't looking at your portfolio this whole time, then what about the idea that you could have averaged down on some of the names that you loved, right? Some of the names that you were holding. Instead of just saying, oh my gosh, I'm just, no, I'm not, I can't do anything about this. I mean, look at Amazon. I love Amazon. Or an Apple. You have the opportunity to average down on some of these names, rebalance the portfolio, work out the tweaks and do some work on it. And all the news and the friends that were just fear-mongering, just, just blowing up all this fear, the reverse, I guess the reverse of FOMO, that's what it was, right? If we had, if we had FOMO, fear of missing out in 2020, 2021, and then I guess it's fear of being in, I guess that's doesn't have as good of an acronym, right? Fear of being phobi, 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 f o b i, right? Fear of being, yeah, phobi. All right, so FOMO goes to phobi. So not worried about missing out, but worried about your money going missing, and how about you being involved with it, and how quickly, er erratically, things change. How we go from, oh, my God, get every last cent, mortgage the house, get grandma's money, put it into uh, picket, you know, whatever you want, right? Uh, uh, some crazy uh, stocks or cryptocurrencies to, you know what? I never want to invest in stocks ever again. What a mistake that was. From the absolute, like, hey, Bitcoin's going to take over the world to, ha, hmm. Not so sure that was such a good idea, right? I mean, that's that's the the range that we saw over the last year or so. So here I am, and I'm 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 maybe hurting your feelings. I'm lambasting a few people, making you feel bad. Maybe, nah, don't feel that way. That's not the case at all, because we're all learning together. You think that some of the things that I'm talking about, I just know inherently. These are mistakes that I made decades ago learned from, wrote some books on, talk about, teach, educate, and bring to you, and is going to short circuit, if you will, or fast forward, better said, your learning curve. All the mistakes that I made over the years, you get to figure out much more quickly. Because that's what we talk about. I'm giving this to you. Why? It's the right thing to do.
You know, my wife says, you know, one of the things we do is that we give back to the community. Seriously, I'm not kidding about this, right? So what do we do? We go to a lot of charity events. We give money, help out community services, all sorts of people in need. Um, you know, during the pandemic, I was delivering food to people that just couldn't get out and couldn't get things. And we go to homeless centers and go to their breakfast and the galas and all that and give money and do what we can to help out any way that's possible, right? From money to services, et cetera. One of the things I do on a regular basis, and I feel that it's really something that gives me an incredible amount of, um, uh, I guess, meaning in my life is to give back in the world of finance. Now, is it fully altruistic? Now, listen, a lot of you have come and done business and we become clients and we work together and I appreciate that, right? But at the end of the day, it is all about this, this learning process. I feel that if I can better you, it's better for all of us. I feel that if we work together somehow, whether it's in a client-based or just a, a podcaster-listener relationship, right? Then it's good for all of us. And I'll tell you something else. The, uh, the fact that people write me and say, you've been listening to me since 2010, or this show and DH Unplugged and all the other ones we've done, how much you've gotten out to it is, 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 is incredibly meaningful to me. And Matt, in fact, you know, I would ask, it's the summertime, maybe... Send me your thoughts on what it is and why you listen to The Disciplined Investor. Info at thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Send me your notes. I'd love to read why it is that you are listening on a regular basis. Info at thedisciplinedinvestor.com. But we're learning for our collective mistakes. That's where I was. I was talking about that and the idea that we're going to better ourselves, right? That is the whole point of all this. Because sometimes... We see things individually one way, and they're really much different than the way we're looking at it. It's like, wait a second. Somebody wrote me on Twitter like, hey, uh, GDP at negative 0.9% this week in the, and, and, and all these bad earnings numbers, but markets rally. How does that make any sense? Well, through one set of glasses, that makes no sense at all because we're just thinking that bad numbers mean bad things, which they do to a degree. But through another set of glasses, like, ah, oh, hold on a second. We got bad GDP numbers coming out. And the Fed the day before was a little bit dovish, saying they're going to be data dependent. Ha ha. Hey, you know what that means? That means that we're going to see additional slowing of the rate hike movement. Big issue right there. That GDP print this week, two quarters of back-to-back -back negative numbers. And what does that really mean anyway? A lot of people are freaking out. Remember I told you, people don't know what to do. No one wants to say the R word, recession. People are crazy about this. How do you act in a recession? I mean, for the youngsters out there, listen, I'll tell you what you got to do. For those of you that went through it, you need to put on your mask. You need to social distance. You need to stop using your credit cards. You need to eat, need to eat spam and pasta and get a stockpile of Campbell's soup and cans. No. Obviously not. Just because it's recession, technically, doesn't mean that you do anything different, does it? But let's first understand what it means, a recession. What's driving the economy and markets? Because there's a few key points that are going on right now that I think we really need to understand. 
and, and whether or not we're in a recession or not, a lot of what's going on is economic theater. But before we get into that discussion, I want to just take a moment and talk about Masterworks. Because you know that cash in your checking account? Well, well last year you just lost 9% of it. Yep, that's right. That $100,000 you had in savings just sitting there doing nothing is technically, if you look at inflation, worth $91,000 now, right? So what could you do? Well, Bank of America, the CIO, recommends investing in real assets to save your cash. And he's bullish on one investment in particular. Historically, it depreciated over 23% during times of high inflation, and that's significantly better than traditional hedges. So what's this, I guess, as, as he's saying, is ultimate hedge? It's fine art. Two-thirds of millionaires hedge against inflation with art, according to UBS. And now you can, too, for a fraction of the cost with Masterworks.io. It's the new fintech platform valued at over $1 billion that lets you invest in paintings by artists like Warhol, Picasso, and Banksy. Although past performance doesn't guarantee future results, they've returned more than 25% over the last four years in a row. Listen, you don't need hundreds of millions to add art to your portfolio anymore. With inflation through the roof, demand for Masterworks has skyrocketed. Over 500,000 people actively use the platform. But you can get priority access to this hedge today. Go to masterworks.io and use promo code TDI. Again, that's masterworks.io, promo code TDI. Important disclosures at masterworks.io slash CD. Now back to where we were when we're talking about understanding what's happening in the economy, right? The question is, who, what is pulling the strings and making all the things happen that are happening right now? Why are things moving in the direction? It's, it's confusing because, again, we're seeing things that don't make a lot of sense from the fact that doesn't make sense that we have to be so aggressive, in my opinion, at least, with regard to the interest rate environment due to the fact that a lot of the inflation pressures are, they are temporary, unless the war goes on forever, unless, in fact, uh, demand and supply chains stay screwed up forever, but they're not. Already oil prices have come down. Already we're seeing deals being cut for movement of various foodstuffs from Ukraine. We're seeing that the supply chain is loosening up. And now we have this chips bill. Who knows how much more money is going to be poured into that area to help with supply chain. But what we're seeing right now is a very reactive environment, particularly related to, we know, the Fed. There's no question about that. Tightening of the of, 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 of financial conditions and pulling away the proverbial punch bowl, you know, filling it up at first and then pulling it away is something that gets the party rocking or just simply closed down. And where we are right now is in the, uh, you know, hey, last call. That's where we are right now. So with that, what happened this week? Why this month did we see such good movement in the markets? Again, I think a lot of it was due to oversold conditions that went a little bit too far. And I don't know how much more upside do we have right now. You know, the S&P approaching, what, 4,100 uh, right now, 900 points away from the downside calls, which is a pretty good number, right, on the S&P 500, talking about another 20% down from here for the downside, downside calls for those that were fear-mongering just a few weeks ago. 
Watch for that. But but what happened this week was, I don't know if it was a pivot, but it was something that was that was felt. It was palpable. It was Fed Chair Powell when he said, while another unusually large increase could be appropriate at next meeting, that will depend on incoming data. As policy tightens further, we will likely be necessary to slow the pace of rate increases. Ah, we went from uh, probably a 40% chance of a 50% hike to an 85% chance at the next meeting. Now, don't forget, also, next meeting is a couple months out. And what happened is that this was interpreted as they're going to slow the roll. And market participants now think that there is a real chance that the Fed is going to chill out a bit. That last part will likely necessary to slow the pace of rate increases is just echoing in the minds of the bulls. Depending on incoming data and as we see things like GDP drop 0.9% the day after he talked about this, much worse than was anticipated, a lot due to the fact that um, things are cooling off in the economy. Here we have a classic condition of when bad is actually good. Remember, no one ever said there was a correlation that was mandated between the economy and the markets. That's just something we made up. Wait a minute. Times aren't good in the economy, but stocks are doing well? Or better said this way. You remember uh, six months ago? Whew, everything looks good. Oh, my God, everything looks fantastic. Why are stocks coming down? Things look good. I don't understand. And that's why when we had that GDP release in second quarter in a row and there was an initial downside reaction on it, and then boom, Fed expectations, depending on incoming data. Now, interestingly enough, Friday was a pretty good day off of the PCE numbers that hit the highest level since 82. And that was really due to the fact they had a few earnings that came out, particularly two beasts of earnings. Listen, we had Apple come out, stock did well. We had Amazon come out. You know, Roku, not big deal. Intel, not as big as deal as it was in the past. You know, both those crashing pretty hard. So now, all of a sudden, we're thinking of a different future for tightening. But that too, frankly, is imbecilic. Stupid, idiotic, I mean, just moronic. The idea that the Fed is going to lay off when we're still seeing heavy inflation pressures. And while we did see some better commentary out of a few firms, a lot of firms were really saying that, you know what, we're not sure what the future is going to hold. In fact, we're not even going to, we're just not going to even provide guidance right now. Here's the point and the reason why. It takes a good amount of time for economic conditions to change. Months, months and months and months. When you change one dynamic, a rate increase, tightening of financial conditions, these are slowly trickled into the economy. But because the stock market is forward-looking, right? It's a forward-discounting mechanism. Maybe it's thinking three, six months down the road, maybe nine, who knows? There's going to be hard times maybe now and the Fed will need to rethink 
down the road about all they're doing to squash inflation and they're going to have to reinvigorate the economy and cut rates. Already we're thinking 2023, we're going to start seeing rate cuts. Now, in my humble opinion, I think what's going on is more about earnings than economics. They're somewhat joined at the hip uh, on, on a big delay. They don't have to be fully correlated, but not entirely. One of the things that I worry about is not a recession in the economy, which is problematic, but what I worry about is an earnings recession. That is something you need to be worried about, right? That is something you need to really start thinking, oh, that that's not good for my portfolio because that causes a whole different level of pain. But I've been talking about this for a while and this idea that recessions come in all shapes and sizes from an economic standpoint. And all that we're seeing now is a classic two-quarter negative GDP recession. That was what we were taught years ago. And I mentioned this earlier too. All the other things that we're seeing about, well, we need to see a drop in the... Uh, in, you know, in people hiring and a much higher level of unemployment and a widespread, this idea of what, you know, from both Biden, who doesn't see an, uh, a, a recession right now, uh, and um, Treasury Secretary uh, Yellen, how, uh, you know, we have, with this whole explanation, and then the White House puts a white paper out three days before GDP comes out to try to explain how a recession is this and that, because they don't want to have the word recession, the R word, hanging over the midterms. That's all this is. It's economic theater. Please. These guys wouldn't know a recession if it bit them right in the tochas. Here's what I want to tell you about recessions. Seriously. Away from the theater and the, this crap that's going on right now. Listen up, and I want you to really focus and, and, and absorb this. Play it on half speed if you have to. Recessions are normal. They're a normal part of the economic cycle. Depressions, on the other hand, are not. Recessions come every five to ten years, like clockwork. Some shallow, some deep. Some are painful to you as an individual because that recession may be related to your personal situation. A technology-related recession that maybe things are not doing well in that industry, spreading across the economy. You're in the technology biz, not so good. Financial crisis, kind of recession. You're in the banking and finance area, housing, mortgages, title insurance. I don't know. Not so good. But it is a normal part of the economic cycle. That's the bottom line to all this. And the recession that we're hearing is not inevitable, right? That's the new lingo. A recession is not inevitable. Inevitable. The White House and Biden and the administration, the Dems, everybody knows the recession, Yellen, is not inevitable. That is total BS. And I'll tell you why. It was, in, it, it was inevitable. It, it was inevitable. It is inevitable. Now, whether or not it's officially called or not, Two quarters back-to-back -back GDP losses, negative on that side, is a recessionary imprint to me. And I'll tell you how it was inevitable. Because after a year or two, actually, of substantial money pouring into the pockets of every U.S. citizen and, frankly, 
global citizen through massive stimulus, through lower interest rates. We knew, and it was obvious, that things had to slow. Why? Because all of the stimulus stopped. The stimulus was more than the GDP totally um, of, of what was being even the year before. So the fact that all the stimulus came at the low rates that they came at was actually uh, enormous levels. Talked about this also over the last few weeks. We had to come off that sugar high. There was no question about this. Now, again, what does that mean? It was inevitable. Yes. Some of the outsized moves in stocks that we saw, even the quality names, the high-grade balance sheet, the earners, some of the moves that we saw were, yeah, stupid, up and down. Some of the moves on the small caps that were bid into the stratosphere was also pretty wild. And, well, some of it was kind of idiotic. Looking back on it, especially if you think about it, if you were involved in it, like what went on with GameStop and AMC and all of that, and, and Build-A-Bear. <laughs> Build-A-Bear is going to be the savior of mankind, right? I don't think so. Um, the fact is that what we saw was a rather euphoric moment of time. But all the things that happen make us realize and recognize something and, and really cement the idea. And I want you to think about this. I want you to repeat after me. You ready? Repeat this after me. Here we go. Everything cycles. Seriously, repeat that. Everything cycles. The worst thing that we could do as investors, and maybe, I don't know, maybe in life, possibly, is to have a straight line, a linear view of things, right? When it comes to our opinions, particularly when it comes to investments in the markets and economies, things change. I mean, when you think about it and you're involved in it, when times are good, do we always think that it's always going to be good? It's always going to be this way. Always going to make all this money and, and grow my assets at 20% per year. And when times are bad, don't we, oh man, it's never going to get better. It's always going to be this way. Everything cycles. The heyday of MySpace that turned into AOL and then moved to Facebook and now TikTok, you know, that kind of transition and cycle. Think of the evolution. Things change. Things cycle. Everything cycles. Now let's get back to the economic theater that we're seeing. That they have no idea. Because everybody wants to be right. Everybody wants to call the low, the top, the bottom, the cycle. But is it really that important for us to be paying attention to people that feel that they need to call what the event is going to be or how much the S&P is going to be a year out from now? Really? Anybody? Can you tell me that? And what's the point? It's a stupid game. I have a secret for you. Don't tell anybody. Let me explain how these companies come up with their estimates on what the value of the S&P will be a year from now. One of two ways. One, in the good times that things are just, you know, just 
uh, cruising along normally as they would. What we see is that they say, well, on average, the S&P has been up 8% per year. It ended at 10,000, put 8%. 10,080 is our number or whatever the number is, right? Well, they say, you know what? We see earnings. Earnings are going to go up by uh, 8% this year. We know the uh, multiple right now is 18.5. Let's keep that multiple. If things are where they are, let's take that, multiply it out. And then we get 3,500. That's the number. That's it. They don't do any other work from that. Very simple. They can't. It's impossible to try to understand what's happening beyond this. I'll I'm, I'm be frank with you. It's impossible. And anybody that goes on TV or radio and tries to give you a one-year projection, it's stupid. Unless you just go consensus. Saying 8% growth. There you got it. That's the average per year or whatever the number is exactly you want to put on it. You want to be a little lower, a little higher. That's the range. So if you want to show everybody how smart you are, that's all you do. But in the face of so many uncertainties that we have right now, that is really dumb. And now everybody has to be an expert on, are we in a recession? And does it even matter that they have to repeat this on CNBC over and over and over? Because now they don't ask anymore so much about the Fed, right? Are we in a recession? Yeah, we're probably seeing signs of a recession, a slowdown. And that is the point of what the Fed is doing to bring down prices, to slow down the economy. This does not take rocket science to understand that if the Fed has the tools, blunt as they may be, to actually slow down the economy, let's just swap out the words. Slow down the economy. That's what they say. Recession. Is there any differential there? No. No. But the question is, what's next? If this is a recession, how deep, how long? And then what happens next? Remember, everything cycles, right? That's what we talked about. Everything cycles. And if that's the case, let's think about the fact that everything looks really bad at certain times. And when everything's a really, everything is, 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 is everybody is so upset. Everything's really bad. Maybe it's about that time that it stops getting worse and expectations of it getting worse are realized and acknowledged. And the tiniest bit of good news, remember Bernanke's what do you call, uh, green shoots, right? <laughs> green shoots. I'm seeing some green shoots. That everything started to come up. We had a historic level of negativity. Bear readings and negative sentiment on the fear greed, on all sorts of levels were off the charts. That should tell us something. Not only from a contrarian standpoint. You don't want to just go, oh, everybody's bears. I'm going the other way. No. But just like when we saw stocks and commentary about, you know, to the moon, right? This is going to the moon. Man, it's going to the moon. Just like that. And it was like, that should have been a, an alert. Ding, ding, ding. Hey, what's happening here? Why is so, so many people so optimistic? We should have thought the same thing when it came to the idea that everybody is so negative. Now, again, we may continue on this path, and this may be just a bounce, a pretty good one, into the next phase of this economic and market slowdown. That may be the case. But we had this historic negativity. And when we look at what's happening, 
we also need to split up what's going on with the economy, the market, and stocks, companies, right? Because we look at what's happening with, for example, the real winners and losers once again. Stock-wise, we saw like Target and Walmart come out with some really horrible commentary twice this month. The most recent was a couple of weeks back when they talked about Walmart in particular that, hey, things aren't so good, guiding down. Amazon, totally different story. They're not even seeing a slowdown with their consumer. Different companies, different outcomes, different investments. But you have retail and similar customers, different outcomes there. Various sectors will ebb and flow with consumers. The point is that there are cycles. I mean, have I said that enough, right? You have to be on top of what's real and what's not. And free TV advice is not the way to get info that you need. Is a podcast me talking to you about it? No, not either. But at least gives you the idea that maybe you should be looking at multiple sources and the actual real data itself before coming to a conclusion. You need to do what we do as advisors, right? What I do. You need to go beyond just the headline. You need to understand what is the data that's making this all up. I mean, when we saw that uh, Amazon, for example, was um, hit by the Rivian uh, investment, but yet the core business was pretty good, huh, that's something that piques my interest. When I look at the eco and earnings, right, that this week the housing housing news was bad and rates were down, which should actually help mortgage uh, refinancing a little bit to a degree, and mortgages, the U.S. dollar is dropping a bit. That's good for multinationals. Walmart warning and then getting whacked and Amazon looking pretty good. Apple came out, okay, overall, maybe get too excited on this one. Roku getting squashed, ad spend, which concurrently hit Meta, uh, Facebook as well, uh, Snap exact uh, as well, down 25%. Oil companies, we saw Exxon and Chevron jump. Un- I, I guess we can't deny that they were just exquisite earnings, which is not too much of a surprise given the fact of what's happening with energy and, and the fact that they have really been working on streamlining their operations. And we see oil moving up so dramatically in overall value. I mean, come on. Is there a surprise here? But we did see the big surprise this week, right? GDP negative 0.9 with the market rallying. PCE jumped to the highest level since 1982, which is a problem. Consumer confidence in the toilet. University of Michigan came out Friday at 51.5. We are in a push-me-pull-me environment. Bad numbers are good for eco. Mixed bag this week overall. Traders trumped. The inflation number, so it seems, um, with the the idea that, hey, you know what? Uh, the economy is slowing down, so inflation is no longer a concern because the Fed, I don't want to say pivoted, but slightly changed their tune. And if we're seeing green shoots and we have the knowledge that everything cycles, maybe we're getting towards peak inflation to a degree and peak negative sentiment in markets again. What I mentioned and what I want to talk about is just seeing things through a different set of glasses. I want you to take a break. I'm giving you permission to step away and go on a vacation if you have to. Go to the beach. Just stare out there. Listen to what I'm talking about here. Come up with ideas. Would you have come up with the idea that maybe as you heard that there was this monkeypox thing going on, should you have picked up some of the stocks that were in that genre of of possibly smallpox related uh, that could help monkeypox? There's a few of them out there. A big, a big 100% in the last month. 
Should you be thinking that, well, you know, all the supply constraints and problems and the layoffs that are going on are actually good for a company like Shopify that is down in the dumps? There's a lot of, well, on this hand, they're seeing that, but what does that actually mean? If Shopify is cutting their employees, we're like, oh, no, that's bad. But actually, 1,000, 10% of their workforce is actually potentially good. We could think of them trying to work on their expenses, and we could think about them actually trying to do their best at, um, at, at solidifying um, what they're going to put out in the future. So there's a lot of good that's possibly happening out there in, in, in that regard that we often see as bad, just like we see the reverse of, hey, what's going on with the economy and bad is good. Now, I'm not suggesting, uh, do not take this as, hey, thumbs up, green light, bull flag, let's go. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I see a lot of trouble continuing on. I think this is, is an interesting quarter. I think there was too much negativity and sentiment put on it and probably not enough on next quarter. So it's been a good run for the last month, bear market, bounce or not, but that's all there is to it. Hey, we're going to cut it here. Again, we got some great stuff coming up. Uh, make sure to go over to disciplineinvestor.com, see all that's happening. Check out Dadbot Food Blog on Instagram and, of course, on Twitter, Andrew Horowitz, one word. I want you to check out the TDIMG, the Discipline Investor Managed Growth Strategy, an aggressive core equity strategy with hedging and going um, a lot of different directions, similar to a hedge fund concept. But I want you to check out the virtual tour. That also can be reached over on uh, the disciplineinvestor.com. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week. This next week, alts. And then we have Peter Schiff coming up. Great stuff happening. I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results, and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 